So the epistle for this Mass of the Common of the Dedication of the Church is taken from the book of the Apocalypse. In those days I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was sitting on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the 19th chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke. At that time Jesus entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a leading publican, and he was rich. And he was trying to see Jesus, who he was, but could not on account of the crowd because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must stay in your house today. And he made haste and came down and welcomed him joyfully. And upon seeing it, all began to murmur, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, I give one half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, the human race was given dominion over creation by God. You know that one of the first things that God said to Adam after creating him was increase and multiply, and then fill the earth, make it yours, take command of the fishes of the sea, and all that flies through the air, and all the living things that move on the earth. So it's quite simply, by the command of God, man's duty to be Lord of the created world, not just of plants and animals, but also of inanimate things, such as rocks, and even such as places, locations. Man is meant to have dominion over them. And as Lord of the created world, Man is meant to assist creation to achieve the end for which it was created. To assist, um, we may say, non-rational living things and inanimate things to pursue their purpose. Especially the ultimate purpose, which as we know is the glory of God. So, to take an example... We know that the glory of God is served when we as human beings, we take plants, we take animals, and we feed ourselves with them. That is the, them for them to serve their natural purpose. They are there for our use and for our nourishment. So that's God's plan. And when we fulfill that plan, they um, give glory to God. But we also have to make created things give honor to God directly. 
If we use plants and animals to feed ourselves, that's serving God indirectly. But there's also a way to make use of created things to serve God in a direct fashion. For instance, there's a way to take flowers and make flowers give glory to God. What we do is we pick them and we take them into the church and we put them on the altar. And those flowers are directly giving glory to God because they're adorning the altar of God. And so we as human beings, we are using our rational power to take these irrational things and use them for the purpose of serving glory to God. So we know that the gardenias are not going to get together and decide to to give worship to God. This is not something they're capable of doing because they're not rational. But we who are rational, we can take them and we can um, co-opt them for the purpose of giving glory to God. So this is done when we put flowers on the altar, when we light beeswax candles, when we make sacred vestments out of plant material. At Mass, all these things are playing the role for the worship of God, playing this uh, this role of giving honor to God. Even the stones of this church, the inanimate stones, have been used by us for this purpose. So we take these things, we lift them above their created condition, and we have them perform a function that they could never do on their own. And it's, it's our rationality and our intent to give glory of, to God that makes this possible. Now today we, we commemorate the dedication of our church here at St. Isidore's. And this church is obviously a building constructed of stones. Um, but the purpose of the arrangement of these stones in this structure is precisely to pro- provide a proper dwelling place for God himself. And it's not just that this is a beautiful building um, that it's constructed for the purpose of giving worship to God, but there was also a special act that took place, an act of consecration, a special ceremony wherein the bishop came here and he set aside this space for the precise purpose for which we are using it. We may think of the whole of the world, as it were, as being secular space. It's what we call the world. It's just the space that's used by human beings for merely earthly purposes. But when you have a consecration, you take the, the, the boundaries of the church and you say, this specific territory is, is no longer secular space. It's not for the use of merely practical purposes. It's not for worldly purposes. This is a space that is consecrated exclusively to the worship of God himself. It is not secular space. It is a space that has, as it were, um, been taken away from the world of sin. It's, it's a space that's been redeemed. We can think of the world as, as sort of tarnished by sin. But, but this consecrated place is a place where God dwells and it's been sanctified. It's been redeemed from that sinful state. So the space of the church on the day of its consecration becomes sacred space. It becomes that space that's set aside exclusively for the worship of God for purposes which do not have their end 
in this world. The reason why we're here for Mass on Sundays is not to accomplish anything that has its finality in this world. Our worship does not achieve any practical purpose where we get some sort of practical advantage. The finality is for a world that's outside of this world. So, because of this, our church is a sacred place. It's a sacred building by the fact that the bishop, with the public act, set it apart for the worship of God in that consecratory activity. You know, this cer- sort of ceremony took place in the Old Testament. The, the book of Kings recounts how Solomon built the temple and the precautions he took to build the temple in total silence because silence befits the honor due to God, the worship due to God. And he used only the finest of materials. It was to be the house of God, and so only the best would be adequate for that building. Then the day of the consecration of the temple came, and God wanted to show how pleased he was with the efforts of Solomon. And so when the consecration took place, he sent fire from heaven to consume the victims. Um, so Solomon put forth all these, these sort of goats and, and sheep and cattle. There were so many of them, they couldn't put them on the altar. They just had to have some sort of structure in front of the altar. There was all these, these animals, and there's just fire that just dropped down from heaven and consumed all those offerings in order for, for God to show that he was pleased with, with their efforts. And then after that, God sort of filled the temple, mysteriously filled the temple with with what's called the Shekinah, his mysterious presence. Perhaps it was a certain mist or uh, smoke that that filled the temple, but it was manifest to the people. And when they saw that fire come from heaven and they saw that that mist enter the temple, they fell down prostrate, completely overwhelmed with the presence of God. So the book of, of actually, Paralopolemon, Paralipomenon, it says, The fire that fell, the brightness of the Lord's visible presence, was seen by all Israel. There on the stone pavement, they fell down to earth in worship, crying, Praise the Lord. The Lord is gracious. His mercy endures forever. You can imagine what it would have been like to be there on that day of the dedication of the temple to witness that presence of God coming into the temple and making it a sacred space. From that day forward, we know the, what the impact of that day had on the Jewish people and, and their whole um, psyche, the, the, the way they saw themselves as a people. Um, for them, from that day forward, the temple was the center for the practice of their religion. It was the very center of, of their very ethos, we, we could say. They saw themselves in relation to that holy temple in Jerusalem, just as we see ourselves in relation to our Catholic worship, our mass that, that we have wherever we go. They thought of their temple as the most sacred place in the entire world, as a very special place, the most special place on this planet. And if the Jews were so aware of how important their sacred temple was, how much more important is it for us to be aware of how sacred our church is when we come to Mass. Because the, the Jews just, their, their Shekinah, this, this presence of God, it was just a symbol. 
It wasn't really God. It was just smoke that represented God. But we don't have a representation of God in our church. We have God himself. We have our Lord Jesus Christ himself in the Blessed Sacrament. And this is why we do not treat our church like normal secular space. We treat this church as a very special building. And so we don't treat it like office space. We don't treat it like our bedroom. We don't treat it like a restaurant. We act in a different way in this church than we do anywhere else. We don't talk in church because we know that we're in the presence of, of our Lord and our Master. And when we come in, we pay homage to our Lord by bending our knee in his presence. And so as not to disrespect our king, we seek to come to Mass in good time, not arriving late for a ceremony in which we know we've come to honor him, like, just like you wouldn't want to show up late for uh, the banquet of a king or some ceremony giving homage to a king. I think it's really important for you to realize how blessed you are to have such a beautiful church to worship God in. You know, we, we society priests, we, we experience all of the sort of mission environments in which, which were placed in this crisis of the church. The fact that many, many places around the world, our faithful do not have a church to worship in. We have to go to some, some town where they just don't have enough faithful, they don't have enough resources in order to have their own church. And so they have to make do. They have to have mass in the most unseemly of places, hotel rooms, YMCA halls, scout halls, even funeral parlors. You know, Father, Father McManus, he goes to Carson City uh, twice a month, and it's mass in a funeral parlor. I mean, this is, this is a typical example of, of what we have to do in order to have the traditional mass uh, in the Society of St. Pius X. But it's, it's not ideal because these places are not sacred spaces. They're secular spaces. They're not set aside for the worship of God. I mean, it's unavoidable that we have to use them when we don't have a church. What can we do? But because these places are secular spaces, we have a hard time treating them like sacred space. It's difficult to, to have the same respect for the Mass, to have the same respect for our Lord in those places than it is in a church. When you arrive, it's normal space, and the people are walking around, and they're chatting. And then, okay, you set up the altar, you arrange the chairs every, and everything, you set the vestments, and, and then everybody becomes quiet, and you say the rosary, and you have Mass. And you take it all down. And everybody starts talking again. So 10 minutes after Mass, it's back to secular space. And this is just not the sort of environment that fosters the right dispositions and souls for the worship of God. Sometimes it's even a test of faith. It's a challenge to, to really believe that our Lord is present or to um, sort of immerse yourself in that spirit of the Mass if you're, if you're sitting in a, in a YMCA hall or a scout hall, there's like pictures of, of kids on ropes, you know, or climbing up mountains and, and, and you're, you're having mats. Because we're human, we have body and soul, it's important that we have the right environment which creates in us that attitude of worship, that attitude of self-sacrifice. 
it's very hard for a house or a hotel room to do that because they're not made to do that. But these places are just so underwhelming. They, they do not speak to us of the glory and the magnificence of God. On the other side, all those great churches of medieval Europe that are truly houses fit for, for God and for the worship of God, where they sort of they tower above the landscape. They're filled with these statues and the stained glass windows and the paintings that raise us, precisely designed to raise us above the secular world. They overwhelm us, uh, these cathedrals, with their immense spaces, with their excessive grandeur, with their magnificence, which really overshadows our own insignificance. How blessed you are to have a place like that here in which to worship God, a place that resembles those great medieval cathedrals that we have in Europe that inspired generations of Catholics throughout the ages in their practice of the Catholic faith. In places like this, where in the midst of a liturgy that's accompanied by, by the Gregorian chant, so beautifully sung by our scholar here, that's performed with the rigor of the traditional rites, that's decorated with beautiful vestments and a well-ornamented altar, it's very hard not to be taken out of yourself, not to be lifted above your earthly condition to that contemplation of the glory of God. Everything's pushing you towards the worship of God in that context. And it's the beauty and the wisdom of the church that is precisely creating these spaces, knowing that she wants you to worship God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Indeed, it's, it's hard, yes, to be unappreciative when we experience these things. It's just so different to be in a church like this as opposed to a secular space. So, my dear faithful, let this feast day of the anniversary of the dedication of St. Isidore's remind you of what we're about when we come to church. God himself is present here. You are here to worship him. This is the most important thing that you do in your life. And if you want to worship God properly, when you come into this sacred space, you have to set aside everything that's secular. You have to drive away the thoughts of the world. You have to lift yourself above your created condition in order to reach up to heaven. In just a few moments, in this church, in this sacred space, you will receive our Lord Jesus Christ, your God, here at the communion rail. Everything in this room, everything that takes place at Mass is meant to help you prepare your own self to become a sacred space, wherein you have God himself dwelling in you, but beforehand there have gone these proper dispositions. The proper dispositions have been created in your soul by the beauty of our liturgy, by the beauty of our church. God wants to find a place in which he takes his rest, in which he finds the worship worthy of him. So you have to allow this environment so carefully prepared by our mother, the church, to work upon you, allow it to dispose you for the accomplishment of your purpose in this life, that intimate union between you and your God. And when you approach the communion rail, don't forget 
the first dwelling place of God himself upon this earth. It was not a building of stone. It was a human person. It wasn't a golden tabernacle. It was a woman, the womb of a virgin. It was the Blessed Virgin Mary, the new Eve. She was the first cathedral in which God himself dwelt. By speaking her fiat, she brought God onto this earth. She communicated her very flesh to him, and so she made it possible for us to have our Lord bodily present here today in our church. So when you come into the church, you have to have the dispositions of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And when you approach the communion rail, you should try to have the dispositions that Our Lady had when she said, be it done unto me according to thy word. You want that not only this church be a sacred space, but you want you yourself to be a sacred space that your very person becomes sacred through our Lord's presence in you when you receive him in the blessed sacrament. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.